my story uh, before I get into it. I grew up in Australia. I've been living here three and a half years, uh, suffering for Jesus in San Diego. Uh, yeah. But it's good to be in Texas's greatest city, Fort Worth. Not Dallas, Fort Worth. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I grew up in Melbourne and my, my parents did drugs and uh, my parents divorced. Uh, I grew up with addiction all around me and at about 12 I started to do uh, marijuana, cigarettes, binge drinking. At 15 I was injecting uh, amphetamine. Uh, at 16 I took an acid trip at a house where they were involved in uh, satanic worship where I actually overdosed for three hours and I was tormented by demons. I, I wasn't a Christian, I had no faith at all. Uh, that episode... Uh, where I kind of overdosed, left me with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis. And for the next three years of my life, uh, from 16 to 19, the television would speak to me, the radio would speak to me. I'd hear a voice every single day telling me that no one loved me and that I should kill myself. Uh, at 19 years old, I came very close to ending my life. Uh, but I had, a, I had a, an auntie, one lady, the only believer in our whole family that actually prayed for me for 17 years that I would one day encounter the love of Jesus. And after 17 years of prayer, through a phone call with this auntie, I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. At 23 years old, uh, a week after or two weeks after becoming a Christian, God turned up at my house. And he spoke to me and he said, you'll never, ever need drugs again. You'll never need cigarettes again. He healed me of my mental illness in one moment. Yeah. And you know, you know what I love is that what took the devil 23 years of his downward, destructive, demonic cycle just took God one word. Yeah. One word to say it's done, it's over, it's finished. And I just believe today that for some people, you're gonna, today's going to be a suddenly. You know, and there's always a process to the suddenly, okay? Because you've been going through stuff, you've been battling, you've been fighting, and, and there was a process, but eventually comes the suddenly. Eventually comes the moment where everything shifts. And, and, and you know, I've been traveling full-time all around the world for about eight years. This is what I do for my, my, my job, in a sense. And, and, and you know, uh, as, as Pastor Brandon was saying, uh, this last year... I've seen more freedom miracles in 12 months than I did in the entire seven years. And the first seven years, we saw some cool stuff. But this last seven years, it's like everything shifted. And, and really what, there's many things that brought the shift about. But one of the things in January 26th of last year, uh, which would have been around the same time that we were talking, uh, I had my own personal freedom experience. Not a testimony of 20 years ago where I got set free of drugs, but as a pastor that was traveling around the world, God set me free of some stuff that I didn't even fully realize that I needed to be set free of. That literally changed everything for me. Set me free of some noise and oppression that was so prevalent in my life. And, and I'm going to share that story at the end, but that was the day that privately everything changed. My marriage changed. My life changed. Uh, but it was March this year. Uh, which actually happened to be the first time I publicly shared the story that I'll share with you at the end. I'll share that particular story of January 26th at the end of this message. But it was the, the first week of March, I was preaching in Chicago, and I kind of just shared this story a little. And uh, I was in this great church in Chicago, and God really started to move, and people started getting touched by God and crying. And, and I've seen that stuff happen many times. But it was actually after the service that it went a little bit of a different direction. 
uh, organically, one by one, people would come to me and say, Lucas, when you spoke about the noise in your mind, I so related, can you pray for me? And we just took a few moments and minutes and, and kind of prayed a different way that I'd never prayed before. And then all of a sudden the person says, man, something just lifted, I feel free. And then a next person organically came and the same thing happened and then again and again and again. And so about 10 people get free before my very eyes. And, and it kind of led to this crescendo where I end up with this young lady. Remember, this is after the service. Everybody's gone out to the foyer and, and it's just the interns that are kind of packing down the church. And, and I get to this young lady and I, and I say, well, what, what do you need? And, and this is a bit of a, a graphic story, but it's just what happened. She says, well, when I was... Uh, you know, uh, between the ages of 12 to 15, I was made to be a sex slave amongst the men in my family. She starts to weep, and, and then she says, and then I married a man at 18 years old who I thought was my Prince Charming, but he too was a pedophile. He raped me most days of five years of this terrible marriage, and this girl is just weeping, and I'm holding her hand, and then all of a sudden, I, I said, well, we're going to pray. And I start to pray in the name of Jesus. And as soon as I mention the name of Jesus, the power of God hits this lady. And she literally drops to the floor. But then she begins to shake violently. And, and literally, demonically starts to just like shake and say things. And start speaking to me in a man's voice. Uh, you can imagine the interns were a little bit freaked out. Uh, the pastors were freaked out. To be honest, I was freaked out as well. Because I'm like, man, I hope this works. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want to be the preacher that came and had a girl speak to him in a man's voice and then nothing happened, you know what I'm saying? And, and so for, for about 10 minutes, she violently is shaking as we're praying and the pastor's wife came and was singing worship over her and I was speaking in the name of Jesus with authority and I'll remember this for the rest of my life. After about 10 minutes, I literally watched her face change in front of me. And she began to cry. And all she could say was, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. You know, I've got this young lady's uh, testimony on video that she recorded about four weeks after this particular incident. And she says that when she went to work the next morning, all of her non-Christian colleagues kept coming to her and saying, what happened to you over the weekend? Why do you look so different? Your eyes are different. Your face is different. And she radically got set free in that moment. Come on, how good is God? And, and literally since that moment, like I said, I've just, just, we're seeing people get free in such a phenomenal way. And you know, a big part of it would be amiss to, to not mention this, but the, and God put all this together at the right time with what I went through in this moment. And, and in April uh, 1st this year, last year, we launched uh, our ministry and called it A Freedom Experience. And my wife and I just felt like that we'll give the rest of our lives to help as many people as possible have A Freedom Experience. And, and really uh, what it is, is it's a 21-day uh, kind of online journey, online experience with, with different teachings and video. And, and one of the key things is we help people take one destructive thought, one destructive mindset, and over 21 days consistently rewire your mind and completely change that destructive mindset. But the thing that it has on top of that is God encounter. We lead you to a place where you are going to have your own person. Because you know what? We need to change our thinking 
but then sometimes we need God to do stuff that we can't do by ourselves. And it's not one or the other. See, because I see people that just have the mentality of one touch will change everything. And yes, that's true. But if you get the one touch but don't change how you think, then I'll see you at the same altar call in six months' time because how you think is what drives you to where you are. And so it's a combination of those two things. It's a, we, we've had one lady that literally, because we lead you to this God encounter, where God visited her in her bedroom and she wept for an hour and a half as God just dealt with grief and different things when she was a little girl and she's radically changed. And I, I can't even count the people that had major anxiety but today have no anxiety. People that have been free of addictions. And so I want to encourage you, uh, come and see me. If you, if you actually sign up today, it's 20% cheaper and I can give you all the details outside afreedomexperience.com. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I want to do a message today called Taking Territory. And we're going to pray for people at the end of this service and really see God move. And uh, so Taking Territory, if the guys have got that slide. And, and I want to uh, turn to, to John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11. A cool story in the Bible, John Chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, if you've got that. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Whenever the Bible speaks about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, it's kind of speaking of a religious spirit. And, and one of the things I hate and really dislike is a religious spirit. And the reason why I have almost like a holy hatred toward it is because, it, if you can have a holy hatred, uh, it is, is because at least a spirit of lust is not pretending to be something that it's not. Like, like a spirit of lust is kind of, you know, tempting someone in a way of come and taste of this, but, but it's not pretending to be something that it's not. Whereas a religious spirit hides in believers, in leaders, in the church, and it's pretending to be something that gives life, but it's actually something that beats people down and takes life rather than giving life. And, and so often when we see the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that's this religious spirit, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. See, a religious spirit is always about exposing someone's sin. Jesus is always about covering someone's sin. Now, don't get religious on me. I understand Jesus deals with our sin, but he does it in a manner like a father would with a son. I don't, I don't bring out my son's weaknesses in front of everybody so that they can see them and I embarrass them. I speak to my sons in private about weighty matters to help them so that they can be better. But a religious spirit wants to point out, wants to expose, wants to shame, wants to condemn, where Jesus is, no, I want to cover. I want to cover my children. I want to deal with stuff, but I want to cover so that you're covered, loved, and protected. They made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught, listen, in the act of adultery. In other words, she was caught in the act of having sex with someone that wasn't her husband. Uh, most probably the, the man was married to someone else or she had a husband that she was cheating on. She was caught in the act of adultery. You've got to understand, she wasn't caught in, a, in adultery in 2020 in Fort Worth. She was caught in the Middle East more than 2,000 years ago. 
She was probably drugged by the hair, naked, and dragged before these men. And once she was being dragged, she knew that that meant certain death. She knew that they would pick up large stones and they would throw them at her until her face was caved in, her brain was smashed, and she was dead. She most likely knew other women that had ended the exact same way. Next scripture. In the law of Moses, this is the, remember, the religious people speaking. In the law, Moses commanded us. The reason I dislike that religious spirit is because it will use the Bible. Who knows, you can make the Bible say anything you want. And there's a lot of people that are using the Bible to beat people down where the Bible was made to lift people up. The Bible was made to tell people that they're children of God. And yes, you've made mistakes, but I've already covered your mistakes so that you could step into everything you need. And it says that they said, now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. See, watch this. The Bible says that the devil is what? The accuser of the brethren. Here they were pretending to be men of God, but they were speaking the devil's language. They were using this as a trap, which kind of also tells me that this, this young lady was most likely set up, that this whole thing was a trap. Because notice how the man didn't appear before everyone. Where was he? Who knows you can't commit adultery by yourself? There needs to be someone else. And it's funny how the man wasn't there, but most likely he was in on this whole thing. And it was just happened to be that she would be in this room with this man at this particular time. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without, of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. I love this part. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. See, when I first became a Christian 20 years ago, I thought, man, come on, this thing is easy. You know, what's wrong with all those other people? But what I found, the longer I've been a Christian, see, the older people left first. In other words, the longer you've known Jesus, the more you realize you actually really need Jesus. Like when I first started, I just thought, man, I've got Jesus. This thing's going to be easy. But the more I've gone on, I've seen my flawed humanity. And the longer I'm a Christian, I realize, man, I need Jesus every single day. Because I have this messed up humanity and I need Jesus. The older ones left first until the woman was still standing there. Just Jesus and the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked the woman, where are they? And this is what I want to speak on. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Just leave it there. You know, religion says stop sinning or you'll be condemned. Jesus says you're not condemned. Now go and stop sinning. See how there's a major difference between the two. One is fear-based that says you better get your act together or condemnation away. Jesus says, no, let me tell you who you are first. Let me tell you that you're not condemned. Let me tell you you're a son or daughter of the Most High God. And when you understand that you're not condemned, you're now empowered to live a life of sinning no more. You're now empowered to be who you're called to be. See, the other thing is religion 
wants to deal with, and this is what I want to preach about, religion wants to deal with the surface level. Oh, oh he's got a problem with porn, or, or, or she gets too angry, or she's gossiping, or he drinks too much. And, and religion wants to deal with the surface level issue. But Jesus wants to deal with what's underneath. See, Jesus doesn't deal with the issue of what she's doing, being caught in adultery. He addresses the underneath issue. This woman, we saw that, she was, that this was a trap. She was most likely set up. Who knows that when they were setting up this particular woman, they didn't think in the synagogue, who is the most holy, righteous woman that we could get to enter into this trap of adultery? That they thought to themselves, who's the girl that has the promiscuous reputation? Who's the girl that maybe sleeps around a bit? Do you know what I'm saying? Let's set her up to sleep with so-and-so so that we can trap Jesus. We don't... I don't know this for sure, but often when a girl is living this kind of life, just maybe, and, and, and now I'm completely ad-libbing, but often statistics will tell us that maybe this girl didn't have a dad that told her she was beautiful. Maybe didn't have a dad. Maybe her dad left when she was just a little girl and left mum to struggle. She never saw a man treat her mum the way her mum should be treated. Maybe when she was in school and she was 15 because of the, the hole in her heart because of her dad leaving, there was a young 15-year-old punk that promised her that if she just gave her her virginity, that he would love her and treat her well. But the moment she gave him her virginity, he told everybody in school that she was a such and such. And I don't know that for sure. But see, what Jesus recognized in this woman is the adultery was the, yeah, that was the issue, but that was what was happening on the surface but the reason that was happening is because deep underneath, she felt condemned. See, when a house is condemned, what it means, they put a sign up condemned, it means this house can no longer be used for the purpose that it was built to be used for. And she had probably been walking around her whole life since she was a little girl with a condemned sign on her heart. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I'm disqualified. I've messed up too many times. I could never be used of God. And that's why she was living this kind of lifestyle. So Jesus doesn't touch this. What he touches is, I need you to understand, honey, you're not condemned. You're beautiful. You're a daughter of God. You're not disqualified. My blood has already paid the price for for all of your sin. I've still got a destiny and incredible things for you to do. And Jesus deals with what's underneath. And I want to talk about three things that happen underneath that cause us to sometimes have behaviors that we don't like. And, and those three things, uh, the first one is this, is, is, is hurts of the past. See, this lady had a moment where she had to choose to let go of the past and live in the present so that she could get her miracle. See, Jesus spoke to her and he said, who is here to condemn you? Now, what she could have done is lived in the past. Well, don't get me started. I know I'm ad-libbing. I know the scripture doesn't say this, but we, you, know, you can naturally think that there's things that happen. And even if this wasn't the thing, then she would have had other things that you could put in this place because she's a human. But what she could have done is she could have said, well, don't get me started on my dad who condemned me or the young punk at 15 who condemned me. But then what we know that the scripture does say is only five minutes ago, there were, we don't know how many men there were. Let's say there was 50 that were standing there condemning her. We don't know. It could be 10, could be 20, could be 100, could be 50. But let's say there was 50. And, and, and she could have said, well, don't get me started on the 50 men 
that just five minutes ago was saying that my life is worthless and should end. She could have lived in the past, but Jesus got her to live in the present. No one, sir. No one's condemning me. See, because the past, if you don't deal with the past, it will affect your future. It will cause behaviors. You know, one of my mentors, Pastor Mike Connell, he talks about this thing of dealing with hurts. That if I was, you've got two options when, you, when hurts happen, and they will happen, is one, we bury them deep. Or two, we process them with Jesus and allow him to heal them. When we bury them deep, it's like getting a knife and cutting your hand. And blood just starts to come out, but we'll be able to see everywhere you go and everyone you touch because of the hurt of the past. And so this lady had to to, to deal with the hurts of the past. This same thing happens in marriage. If I can be real with you for a moment, uh, every now and again, my wife and I will have a a kind of like a heated conversation. that, that's Christian for argument, just in case you're wondering. And she'll say something that triggers me, and I'll start to feel anger in my heart, because of this, she just said something that was a trigger, and, and I'll feel anger, and it'll even sometimes inside my heart will get to rage, and, 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 and most times, most times, I'm smart enough to walk away in that moment. Because I know that anything I say in that moment is not good for my marriage, and it's definitely not good for my sex life, okay? And so I am married, just in case you're wondering. Now we are hooking up. All right, anyway. <laughs> and often, on the times that I'm smart and walk away into another room, and I'll sit and process what just happened, and I'll think about it, and I'll think, well, hang on a second, like, what she said to me, yes, it was annoying, but it was like... It was like a 2 out of 10. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. It was like a 2 out of 10. But my anger inside my heart was probably like an 8 out of 10. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense because 2 does not equal 8. Unless, of course, there's still the 3 that I'm holding on to from 6 weeks ago and the 1 that happened 3 weeks ago and the 2 that happened 4 days ago and now all of a sudden 2 actually does equal 8. See, because past hurts, if we don't deal with them, they'll cause behaviors to appear in our life that we actually don't like. You know, I remember praying for this lady I preached in a church in Schenectady, uh, New York, and, and the, the pastor's wife, I'd, I'd been ministering on fear, and she'd struggled with anxiety uh, for a long time. And now her daughter, who was about 17, 18, uh, was starting to, to copy mum's anxiety, was starting to now live just like mum lived. And she just made this comment to me, and I didn't fully understand the, you know, the depth of her, her situation. And she said to me, she said, yeah, I, I can't hop on planes because I just get so scared. And, and as soon as she said that, something in my spirit, I said, oh, cool, well, we're going we're gonna to deal with that tomorrow. And they, this couple are good friends of mine, they run a church. And I said, let's, Monday morning, let's meet up, and we're going we're gonna to pray into this. This was Sunday. Sunday night... She goes to bed and she has a dream about something that happened about 35 years ago that she hasn't thought about in more than 15, 20 years. She had told her husband of this thing that happened right when they got married, but then they hadn't talked about it again. And she comes this next morning and I'm ready to pray and she says, God actually gave me a dream last night that when I was 12 years old, 
a family friend minded me for the day on his local farm and he sexually abused me. I never told anyone. I just kind of hid it. I told my husband when we first got married, haven't thought about it again. And all of a sudden you imagine the tears and as a presence of God comes and we start to pray for healing to the hurt that happened to that little girl. We then had to move her through this process of now forgiving this family member. Now, if you think that that's wrong, then it just simply means you don't fully yet understand the power of forgiveness. See, because when you forgive someone, it's not a gift to them, it's a gift to yourself. See, when you because if you hang on to any unforgiveness, even if it's justified, it'll cause bitterness in you and there'll behavior that will come out that you don't like. And, and so when you forgive someone, it's actually a gift to yourself. If I choose to stay in relationship with the person that hurt me, that's the gift I give to them. There are some people that you need to forgive and not give them the gift of relationship. And then there are others that you need to give. And if it's your spouse, then you have to keep giving them the gift of relationship. And she was able to get healed in that moment. The second thing is, and then we're going to pray in, in, in a little bit. The second thing is destructive mindset. And, and so... Again, what Jesus is doing is he first communicates to this lady about not being condemned. Because he understands that I'm speaking to a mindset. I'm speaking to a belief system. I'm speaking to, you've always believed that you're condemned. And if we don't change the way that you think about yourself, then you'll end up in bed with someone else doing the wrong thing because of the way that you think about yourself. And, 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 you know, like I said to you, the, the, the biggest thing that we do with our course is we help people to change a mindset because I got sick of seeing people have a radical encounter and truly get freedom, but then not put the work in to change their thinking and they end up at exactly the same spot. See, Jesus has given us the Word of God to transform who we are, but if we don't put the work in to, to be deliberate in over 21 days in changing how we think, it doesn't change permanently the way that we think. You know, this particular lady that I was praying for, and, and remember the tears, and we just ministered in a healing to her hurt, and, and rightly so, that she, was, that she would feel like that. You know, someone that, that robbed her of her innocence, and, and we got her to forgive and deal with the past hurts. And, and she had sort of finished crying, and I felt like we were finished, but then I just felt, because remember, her biggest issue was hopping on an airplane. And I felt God speak to me, and he said, get her to pray this prayer. And she kind of pulled herself together now and thought we're all done. And, and then I said, hang on, I said, just pray this prayer before we finish. And I said, just repeat after me. And, and, and I said, say, Father. And she says, Father. And I said, say, thank you that I can trust you to protect me. And she said, thank you that I, thank you that I, she couldn't say the word. See, because when she was a little girl, she started to believe that you can't trust God to protect you. Now, wonder, look how this is manifesting. She won't hop on an airplane. If you, if you can't believe God to trust to protect you, I ain't hopping on a tin can that flies through the sky. In that moment, she actually did the 21 days, worked on that fear-based mindset, and today is 100% free. And now she's watching her daughter follow mum in faith and positivity and breakthrough and flying around the world. But you've got to change mindset. So often when someone gets addicted to something, there's, there's always a, a mindset of a victim mentality. Because when you keep falling to the same thing that you don't want to fall to, eventually what's created is a victim mentality where even though you don't want to do that thing, 
but because you don't want to do it and you keep falling to it, it's now that thing has become the victor and you've become the victim in your mind. And sometimes what you need to smash is a victim mentality and transform it over time to a victorious mentality that greater is he that lives in me, that I have power in my words to move whatever mountain needs to be moved. And then the last one is this. If Just if the keyboarder could come, that'd be cool. Uh, you know, the last thing is this, and this is the one I want to, I want to minister into. And then I want to share my story. But this, the, the last one is this, is, is oppression. See, past hurts, not dealt with, cause behaviors we don't like. Destructive mindsets, we all have them. Unless you're already 100% like Jesus, well, congratulations. But, but, but destructive mindsets. And then the last one is, and this is a big one that we don't talk about anymore in the church, is oppression, demonic oppression. And, and, you know, if you were around in the 80s, the church went a little bit crazy. You guys can just chill if you want and, and just, we'll do a bit of keyboard. But, but if you were around in the 80s, the church went a little bit crazy. It was like there was a demon under every bush. Do you know what I'm saying? Like someone sneezed. It's like, take him out the back. He's got a demon. <laughs> and, and, but, but now, <coughs> in the church today, we've actually gone the complete opposite way. Where it's like, demons don't exist. Or, we've demonized demons. And what I mean by that, it's like, oh yeah, the homeless guy that's begging and yelling profanities. I mean, yeah, yeah, he might have a demon. But let me tell you, the number one plan of the devil, you need to hear this, in the Western world, the number one plan is to hide. And so, so, so America has countries, and there's stuff going on right now, countries that hate America, that are on record. They're, they're public. They're, they hate America. If they could kill every American, they would kill every American. And, and America has the, the weaponry and the power to defeat every single one of those nations with, in a sense, a bit of ease. But at the same time, not ease. They still know that there'd be a great cost. It would take time. It would cost a lot of money. It would cost Americans lives. They would still win without a doubt. No matter what, they would win the battle. But what they look at is the cost of what that would be. And they make a decision that the cost is too great to go and destroy that particular enemy. So what America does instead is they send spies. They send spies into these nations that are doing their best to manipulate economies to find out political secrets, to, 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 to get anything they can to manipulate and, and bring down. And the reason they use a spy is because if the spy is hidden, then they know there'll be no retaliation. See, what the devil does in the Western world is he hides. He hides behind every name that we give. We give every single thing that we go through a different name. And if that's the name, well, the devil's still hidden. Because if he's hidden, he can manipulate and pull down, but there'll be no retaliation. Because he's scared of the weapons that you had. That if you knew exactly what you were fighting, you would pull out the weapons that Christ died for you to have. And he knows how much trouble he'd be in, so he hides behind all of these other things. And so often that oppression is so much more common than we think. See, see, see to me, demonic oppression is simply when the devil finds a legal right to speak. Let me give you a real practical example. The Bible says this. The Bible says 
that if you go to bed angry, if you go to bed angry and the sun goes down, you give the devil a foothold. That's what the Bible says. Now, I've been married 17 years. I would be lying to you if I said in 17 years there weren't some nights where I went to bed angry. And you know what? The sun went down. But the devil doesn't wake me up in the morning and say, well, Lucas, you know what the Word says? You went to bed angry, the sun went down. You've given me a legal right, Lucas, and what I want you to know is I'm going to be speaking to you quite a bit about your wife over the next month or two. All of it will be negative. He doesn't do that. But I've now given him a legal right to speak. So what he does is he hides and he speaks as if he's me. And now the next day, my wife gets up and she says something and there's a thought that I think is my own where I think, what did she really mean when she said that? Did she have tone? Come on, married people, you know about tone. Or, or you know, there's another scripture and I don't have time to go into it, but, but where it talks about the ruler that forgives the man an unpayable debt. And then he goes and finds someone that owes him a payable debt. But he has no forgiveness and he puts him in jail. And the master finds out and he says, you wicked servant. So in other words, unforgiveness. You will be thrown away where the what? The tormentors will have their way with you. What are the tormentors? See, when you're in unforgiveness, you've given the devil a legal right to speak. But again, he doesn't do it as the devil. He does it as you. You know that person that you've, got a, that you've got an offense towards and you see them on Instagram and as soon as you see their post, no matter what it is, there's a million thoughts about why you don't like them. And really when, again, we don't know how many, but these 50 men, when they're speaking, condemn her, kill her, she's worthless. The Bible says she's a sinner. Get rocks and destroy her. When those roughly 50 men were screaming those words, it was a picture of the invisible noise that she had been hearing probably for 20 or 30 years that followed her. The noise. Like I said, I'll finish with this story and then we're going to just spend, a, we're going to go a little bit over. I hope that's okay. But just not too long. But I, I want to pray for you at the end. But the last story is January 26th last year. Every year our church in C3 San Diego, we do a, a, a weekend called Freedom Weekend, Freedom Sunday. And we talk about demonic oppression. And we talk about the ways that you can give the devil a legal right where you can end up demonically oppressed. You know, when someone is looking at sexual stuff online, don't think it's just sexual stuff online. There's stuff behind the stuff. And that's not to condemn you, but just to show you a reality. And we talk about this, and, and last year I missed Freedom Sunday because I was preaching somewhere else, but I listened to the podcast. And when I listened to it, I thought, man, I, I wouldn't mind someone praying for me. Because probably the thing that I struggled with for like 20 years since I've been a Christian, well, my whole life, but then even as a Christian, was just like noise of condemnation, negativity, low self-worth. And when I was doing bad, when there was a tough thing, maybe I was not doing so good in my faith or whatever, sometimes the noise was loud, even debilitating. But then even when I was doing really good, it was like the noise was just way in the background. It was quiet. I could hardly hear it, but it was always there. You're not good enough. You didn't come from the right family. You're not worthy. 
And I, I've been trying to renew my mind for 20 years. I know every low self scripture there is in the whole Bible. And I'd be renewing my mind. And then I listened to this message. I thought, well, I want someone to pray for me. And I rang a guy in our church and I said, hey, would you meet me at the church on a Saturday? Would you pray for me? And, and when I met with this guy as a lay pastor in our church, I, I, I took my mask off. See, because here's the thing. Your face can't get healed unless you take off your mask. That's why the devil wants you to wear a religious mask. Come to church every week and praise God. Hallelujah. Isn't God awesome? But then struggle from Monday to Saturday. You've got to take the mask off. And, and so I got real with this guy and he prayed for me. And, and, and while he prayed for me, I actually had a vision. I often will get impressions when I'm praying for someone, but not visions. This was like I was watching a movie while he prayed for me. And the movie that I was watching underneath was this underground kind of tunnel or underground kind of subway kind of thing representing my inner man, but there was this tunnel. And while he prayed for me, I saw these barn doors shaped the same way as the tunnel and I heard them in this vision. And the barn doors went and they closed. And in the vision while I'm watching this movie play on the inside, I'm like, wow, there was darkness behind the doors. And as soon as that happened, the doors closed, I felt for like five, six seconds like I got injected with joy. Joy just went through my whole body. I was like, wow. That's ne I've never experienced that. I went away. I, you know, he said, man, something just happened. The next morning, January 27th last year, I'm getting ready to preach at one of our campuses at C3 San Diego. And, and my, all my family's already gone to church, so I'm home by myself. I walk into my bathroom to get ready and I literally walk in and it's like I'm stopped in my tracks and I'm overwhelmed by how quiet my house is. And then I realize it's not the quiet of my house. It's the quiet of my house where the noise had gotten so normal and I just thought it was a part of the way that I thought but when we addressed it for what it was and stopped the legal right, all of a sudden, I'm telling you, from that moment, my marriage got so much better. My life got so much better. Life got so much better. And since I've been sharing this since about March this year, every single time I do this message and I ask people to come forward if they feel like there's noise, every single time, I will see between 70 and 90% of the crowd, including senior pastors, including leaders, that just say, you know what, Lucas? I feel like there's some constant noise. And I've and I just got a simple process that we're going to work through over five minutes that, that I believe is going to unlock people. And so I want to ask every person to stand to your feet. And, and I, I just want you to, if you'd say, Lucas, I need to be included in this prayer. And, and you know what? If it's the same thing that you keep going on, do you know what I mean? If it's insecurity all the time, if it's fear all the time, if it's depression, heaviness, or maybe a, a, an addiction or a struggle, maybe it is something oppressive. And if you relate to that whole thing of, Lucas, if I be honest, I feel like there's some noise. I just want you to quickly come right now. Come to the front quickly right now. Yeah. Awesome. Just quickly come. Yeah. Quickly come. Awesome, man. Always love the first people that come. I'm telling you, I just, as a preacher, I love the first people. Because everyone, you know, often we're waiting to see who else goes. So powerful. Because you know what? If church could start being a place that's real and vulnerable. And you know what I love? I love when, I love when leaders come. 
Because you know what? You know what it says when a leader comes? It says to every other leader and every other church member that church is a place where you can get healed. I've been in churches where I know leaders are oppressed and they won't come. And what they're saying to all of their leaders is deal with your stuff outside of the church. But the church is where you can deal with your stuff no matter where you're at. And so, all right, if you're at the front, I want, I'm going to lead you through three things and then we're going to pray. I'm going to see the power of God come. If you're in your, in your seat, then, then thank God you're in a season where, you know what, you just feel fully free in this area and doing well. And what I'm going to ask you in a moment is for you to reach out your hands. I'm going to pray for everyone. But if you're in your seat, you could go through this process because it'll help you, I promise, even if you don't feel oppressed. Two, three things that we're going to do, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're done. First thing is this, is I'm going to get you to pray a prayer where you're going to ask Jesus, and this is going to be hard for some people, but you're going to ask God, and I'm going to lead you in it, is who do you need to forgive? Let me tell you one thing, especially in men, the biggest thing that I've been seeing is a spirit of self-hatred, especially in men. And often the person you need to forgive is yourself. You've already said sorry to Jesus. You give grace to everyone else, but you've got an offense towards yourself because you hate what you did. You hate the mistake. So you've now given the devil a legal right to keep speaking self-hatred that you think is you saying it, but it's not. So I want everyone to close their eyes. And I'm going to lead you, and then I'm just going to give you a moment to, to deal with God. You'll do that by yourself. Just so you know, there's no confession or anything in this moment. If there's some major stuff, I'd encourage you tomorrow, talk to someone about it. But right now is not that moment. You're safe. It's just between you and God. But repeat after me. Say, Father, show me anyone in my life that I have unforgiveness toward and help me to forgive them. In Jesus' name. Amen. There it is. Already people are starting to cry, but now you just do business with God. Whoever he brings up. For some of you, it's your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, yourself, maybe someone that abused you. But it doesn't matter. For some of you, there might be just one main person. For some, it might be five people. But just as he brings it up in your own heart, you just say, you say in your own words, Father, I forgive so-and-so for whatever they did. Again, doesn't mean for some of you there was a mass misjustice. You forgiving them doesn't mean you're saying what they did was okay. That's not what forgiveness is about. But what it's saying is I'm not going to let their evil act wreck my life anymore. I'm giving it to you, God. Come on, just do that. People, so many people are just crying right now. Come on, it's beautiful. It's part of the healing process. Just let it go. Just let it go. Just in your heart, God, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. God, I forgive myself for what I looked at. I forgive myself for the mistakes I made. I forgive myself. Just with your eyes closed, let me just, I want you to catch this. If, if your forgiveness was a major one, someone that really hurt you, what I would say is over the next 21 days, forgive that person every day. Say, so, well, hang on a sec, I already just did it. Yes, you did it. But sometimes we have to keep doing it so that our emotions can catch up with our faith decision. And sometimes that's where we go wrong. We forgive in the moment and we're genuine. Like right now there's tears and you think, well, that's done. But your emotions were so hurt by what happened, just doing the act of forgiving each day until the day that your emotions now line up with the faith decision you're making. Second thing, like I said, three things, then I'll pray and then we're done. Second thing is this is I'm going to get you to pray a prayer. <laughs> Just keep your eyes closed. 
And, 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 and we're going to ask God because one of the other things that gives the devil a legal right is unrepented sin. And we're going to ask God if there's any unrepented sin. Now, now, I want you to understand, this does not bring up every sin that you've ever done in your life because if you've already asked for forgiveness, the Bible says He's faithful and just and He's already cleansed you of all unrighteousness. So I'm not talking about every wrong thing you've ever done. That'd be a lie from the devil. But what I'm talking about, if there's an area in your life that you are living in unrepented sin, then just by that act, you are giving the devil a legal right to speak. So if God convicts you of something, and some of you, it might be a major addiction that you've tried, you don't have to say to God, God, I promise I'll never do it again. But you just say, God, I'm turning away from that thing. God, I'm going to need your help to do it. But today, like we talked about, my posture is turning away from that God. That's not how I want to live anymore. I'm sorry for it. Help me to live. So right now, I'm going to get you to pray that prayer. Just say, Father, show me any unrepented sin in my life. Help me to repent of it and help me to overcome it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now again, just have a moment with God. Again, you don't have to tell anyone right now. Like I said, if there's major stuff, it'd be wise to talk to someone, a leader, someone trusted. But right now, whatever He brings up in your heart, could be small, could seem small, could seem large, whatever He brings up. Remember, this is not about someone else now. This is about you. But what do I need to turn away from? Sometimes it's the sin of comparison. God, I'm always comparing. And that's what's bringing fear and anxiety. Because when you're always in comparison, it's a sin because you're saying to God, God, you didn't do a good enough job with me and I should have been someone else. But right now, just in your heart. And then the last thing I want to do before I pray, and this one won't be for everyone, but I have to do this. Because one of the, the main ways that people get oppressed is through trauma because the devil's a loser and if someone was to come and rob my house they'd most likely do it at about two or three in the morning because at two or three in the morning I'm the most vulnerable I'm asleep I'm in heavy sleep I'm probably not going to hear them so they come when I'm vulnerable and what the devil does is when trauma comes we're vulnerable we're open and he'll often bring oppression. Spirit of fear. Spirit of grief. It's right, it's right to grieve. We should grieve. But sometimes it can become a spirit where you meet people and they're still grieving 20 years later. And so it won't be for everyone. But if you can recognize whatever your oppression is, if you can, if you can link it to something that's traumatic in your life, then I want to I especially just pray for you. So if that's you, lift your hands to heaven. You just know that what I'm going through, I know the exact trauma that happened. I know what happened. And ever since that moment, things were different. So, Father, we thank you. Just if you're in the crowd, reach out your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for healing right now to that trauma. God, to that hurt, I release the love of the Father. Yeah, I release the love of the 